The FBI arrests a potential terrorist in Indianapolis. What's the takeaway? Andre Carson joins a gun control sit-in in Congress, a call for tougher gun laws in Indiana, and Donald Trump hires an Indiana political consultant. That plus preparing for a Hillary Clinton visit, a big pacer trade, and more on Indiana Week in Review for the week ending June 24, 2016. <music> Programming is made possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com. This week, an 18-year-old Brownsburg man was arrested for trying to join ISIS. Akram Musla will be in court on Monday. That's when a federal judge will determine whether Musla will remain in jail or be released on bond. He was arrested after an investigation that spanned three years. Court documents include pictures of him with an ISIS flag and some of his web search history. That includes an Indiana Department of Homeland Security article that lists potential terror targets. Court documents also say he was seen shopping for pressure cookers. Here's a reaction from Governor Mike Pence. No community is immune uh, from the threat that we face in this country of, uh, of individuals who would be radicalized by Islamic extremist ideology uh, and, and, and set about uh, to do violence here or abroad. Should that arrest serve as a wake-up call to central Indiana? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel. Democrat Dan Parker. Republican Mike McDaniel. Leslie Weidenbenner, managing editor of the Indianapolis Business Journal. And John Ketzenberger, president of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. I'm Wish TV Statehouse reporter Jim Shellen. Mike McDaniel, should the FBI be commended for this investigation? Absolutely. Uh but to go back to your original question, is should this be a wake-up call for Central Indiana? I, I hope I'd say no. And I, the reason I say that, we should be way beyond wake-up calls by this point. This is not an East Coast problem and a West Coast problem. People all over this country need to understand that because of access to the internet and social media, that this information from these terrorist groups and, and hate groups is out there all the time and easily accessible to so many people all over this country. And so while it's important for us to remain vigilant, as the governor said in his statement, uh, we can't afford to not pay attention to this stuff. And this is a great example. The FBI did a good job with this, and there were some local law enforcement and state people involved. Also, this young man was under surveillance for a good while. But it just strikes me that this young man, 18 years old, and uh, can have his life turned around by something like this. And, and it's happening in every state in the Union. This is just not, not here. The and, there are, goes. And, and there are several people, it's my understanding, that are under surveillance right now in Indiana. And, and that's true in every state also. So this problem is not going to go away. So as the governor said, if you hear something, if you see something, if you read something, 
that's not what it should be, yeah. say something because we all have to be vigilant. Well, it, clearly it's unsettling. How unsettling? Well, it's it, very unsettling. I mean, I want to agree with everything that Michael said first, probably not often that we agree on much, but we do on this. But I think it's also a case in point where the community and people, you know, gave information to the authorities to make sure that this, this uh, uh, young, young man was, was under surveillance. So I think it's also a case study in that you can't alienate the Muslim community as well because uh, the Muslim community needs to be engaged in this and making sure that when somebody does get radicalized, that, that person is uh, you know, turned over to the authorities. Yeah. Um, he was recruiting at one point in a Brownsburg park. Brownsburg seems like an unlikely place for that sort of thing. Well, there is a large uh, Islamic community center in Plainfield, not terribly far away. Uh, but I want to say that, that I think well, that, was, that was unusual. But I also want to say that this is not a, a problem with Islam only. You know, radicalization doesn't know a particular religion or a belief system. Um, hate makes people radical. And as long as you've got hate going around... And people who are disaffected because they don't have a job or they don't have what they perceive as a future or something like that, or they're constantly distracted by these kinds of things, you put those two together in minds that really can't figure things out or are trying to figure things out, you end up with this kind of situation. And that's why uh, it's more important than ever that we tone down the rhetoric and we amp up the uh, attempts to get people involved, whether it's in their communities and jobs in the future. You have to have hope. That's the only true antidote to radicalization and hate. I also think that there, this was as dis- terribly disturbing as this is there, is, there was some heartening news here in how the FBI handled it, and I think that's especially important following the Orlando situation where people did report um, issues they had about the the man who did the mass shooting in Orlando. And there's concern about whether the authorities did everything that they should have. So it's, I think it was actually really good to see that in this case, the FBI was, they were following the leads and they did have someone under surveillance. And I think that's encouraging to people to do what you talked about, Mike, in terms of reporting what they see and hear. All right, moving on. Indiana Congressman Andre Carson sat on the floor of the House chamber during this week's Democratic sit-in to force votes on gun control legislation. Carson posted photos on his Facebook and Twitter pages near the beginning of the sit-in with the caption, My colleagues and I have had enough. He tweeted again when the group sang, We shall overcome late that night. The next day, he tweeted that the sit-in is over, but, quote, our fight continues. He added, We need common sense solutions to keep America and safe. When reached by FaceTime, he said the demonstration was a success. We opened up a broader conversation on social media and certainly with traditional media outlets, and people are still talking about it. And the facts are clear, uh, especially with the horrific incident that happened in Orlando and other places. Our gun laws are partly complicit for many of these shootings. Dan Parker, will that sit-in change anything? It, it has elevated the conversation. Uh, it's put it front and center. Um, and I think that when 90% of the American public agrees on something, uh, you know, Congress should act. I mean, it's enough for people to say that we're going we're gonna, to you know, have a moment of silence. Silence is not the answer anymore. Uh, people need to step up. And I was encouraged that Congressman Carson was a part of this. And, and hopefully Congress will do something 
when 90% of American public agrees on background checks and keeping you know, terrorists who are on no-fly lists from getting guns. One of the criticisms of the Democrats during the sit-in was that they were calling for votes on amendments that had failed in the Senate, yet the Senate passed an amendment this week that calls for new gun control measures uh, dealing with people who are on the, the no-fly list, and Dan Coats voted for that. Yeah, Senator Cronin's uh, legislation was one that, and I think most people agree with the no-fly, no-buy kind of concept. What you're trying to get to there, and Dan, Dan Coates said it best when he said he thinks there's an opportunity for some agreement there, and I think there still is on that subject. Uh, but because most people in Congress want to find a way to keep guns out of the hands of terrorists, but also don't want to infringe on Second Amendment rights, and that's that's what they're trying to do here. So, yeah, I, I think that Coates is right. I think that that gives him some hope, and I think it should give everybody some hope that they at least got something that was moving there, and the debate goes on. Now, as far as the sit-in goes, you know, I don't like seeing people break the rules of the House to do that kind of thing. And, you know, I mean, the sit-in, you know, for some people to compare that sit-in to the civil rights sit-ins, I thought was a little over the top. I mean, this was a catered affair. They had caterers bringing in lunch and dinner to them, and they got out of there just in time because they didn't want to script their weekend plan. So I don't know how committed they really were to this. But it did generate the thing that they wanted to do. It generated more conversation. And so if, if that was the goal... And I'm sure it was. This stunt worked because it helped him get on TV, helped him get that issue out there even more. So, well, I, I guess I'm entertained. You call it a stunt. A lot of people call it, call it a stunt. I mean, it, it, political stunts work. Oh, absolutely. And and this was a fascinating look at sort of what technology means now um, in the political world, also the media world, in terms of um, when, it, you know, access to the feed in, in the... Um, the C-SPAN feed. In the C-SPAN yeah. feed isn't there. And then all the technology now that these Democrats had to be able to get their message out, to go live on the Internet, to be able to provide feeds that then um, the media used. So it, it was uh, it was one of those situations where you suddenly got to see... Well, how technology has changed the way we can uh, message things. Well, I think that's right. Uh, back to, to Senator Coates. He's been under attack uh, even for considering voting for gun control measures by the Tea Party. Um, is that because they remember when he voted for a, an automatic weapons ban in the 90s, or are they just unwilling to compromise on anything? Uh, I think it's the latter and not the former. I think... Uh, you know, there may be some some Second Amendment absolutists who do remember that, but they're not likely, and they may be members of the Tea Party, but that's not the same thing in this case. I think the Tea Party is just mad because they take an absolutist position, and that's what happens. If if and and I agree with you, Mike. The rules are there for a reason, but when you cannot uh, make things happen, then you use the the ability that you have to get whatever leverage you can. And they do that because they aren't able to move anything th through by the rules. They're thwarted at every uh, turn. And that's what happens when you have an absolutist line. Well, uh, so the only to that point, to that point, this is the first time we've ever seen a sit-in of this nature. But Newt Gingrich led a walkout uh, that, that caused him to, to rise to power. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so back to my point, political stunts work. Right. Well, you want to start going through all the political stunts that have worked. Out? Well, look. First of all, this <laughs> only half-hour show. Yeah. When this is led by John, you know, Congressman John Lewis, this is not a stunt. Okay, this is a man in his history 
to call it a stunt is, is, is really undercutting his place in our history. All right, time now for viewer feedback. Each week, we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question, will the sit-in in Congress lead to more demonstrations of this kind? Your choices are A, yes, B, no, or C, only if it works. Last week's question, did Indiana authorities fail to scrutinize James Wesley Howell properly? 45% said yes, 27% said you can only do so much, 28% said Thank goodness he was caught in California. If you'd like to take part in the poll, go to WFYI.org slash IWIR and look for the poll. James Wesley Howell is the Clark County man who police say was heavily armed when he was stopped on the way to a gay pride parade in West Los Angeles. He was on probation in Indiana at the time. And State Representative Ed Delaney said this week that his case is an argument for tougher Indiana gun laws. 80% of the American people believe that we should restrict automatic weapons, basically preclude them, get rid of military-type weapons in civilian hands, okay? We should have universal background checks, and we should restrict these large ammunition clips. That's 80%. A majority of the NRA members say that. John Ketzenberger, will we see new gun laws in Indiana next year? Uh, no. I would be shocked if we saw... Well. Let me take that back. I'd be shocked if we saw any gun laws like those proposed by Representative Delaney. There may be some other gun laws enacted by people who are uh, pro-Second Amendment who want to add to their accessibility or their ability to carry or the, their freedom to have the guns. We've seen that regularly in the last several years. So um, I think Representative Delaney makes a good point. You talk about credibility of John Lewis. I think Ed's got credibility on this, too. Um, He's got facts, but he's not going to get a hearing on those those proposed bills. One point that I made this week is that he's going to have trouble getting majority Republicans, supermajority Republicans, to consider any of his proposals. But in Indiana, a lot of Democrats are NRA supporters. That's right. Although now, frankly, the number of Democrats in the House and Senate have reduced to the point where you have a lot more gun control folks than you used to. Ten years ago... Um, the, de- the Democrats, probably a majority of Democrats, were, um, ve- you know, really um, uh, defended gun rights. And so it's not so much anymore, but those people have all been replaced by Republicans. So I totally agree with John. These proposals aren't going anywhere. Yeah. Is the nature of this debate changing? Yeah, I think so. Um, but Representative Delaney, one of the things he talked about doing, which I completely agree with and would think that everybody should be supportive of is figuring out a way to make the probation departments more conversive with other agencies of state government because clearly there were mistakes made in fumbling around in this case which allowed this young man to relinquish the one gun that he used to point at somebody but nobody failed to understand even though he testified to the other that the other should be taken away too i mean that was a huge blunder down there and and that's a problem and so his and, proposal and representative delaney and his points propo- out that there was a lack of communication right. between local and authorities he, and, and state and police that's, and that's what and that should be improved clearly if that means more money for probation i think that's a good idea but when 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 representative delaney talks about this being a republican thing how everybody's scared of the NRA. Uh, he's got people in his own caucus, as you said. I mean, used to be all Southern Indiana Democrats, especially everybody south of 40 used to be NRA members. But now, as Leslie said, the numbers are down. But seven of the members who are in this caucus now voted for to allow guns in school property. Six of the members who are in the House caucus now 
voted to make sure that anybody in a local ordinance to try to make gun restrictions tougher than the United States standard couldn't do it. So he better start with his own caucus before he starts going down the line to everybody else and saying this is an R&D thing. Is that right? Well, it's nice to hear that you actually think that something needs to be done because, you know, I'm with John, unfortunately, because of the, the majority status. Nothing will probably get done, but uh, kudos to him to put it on the agenda. Um, we don't just have, you know, guns, you know, getting in the hands of uh, potentially terrorists or, or people that are, uh, you know, deranged. But we have a serious issue with violence on our streets that we need to deal with in our state, in our country. And at least at a minimum, Indiana should be moving towards background checks at, at gun shows and, you know, closing loopholes. At a minimum, we should be doing that. I do think Mike makes a good point in that there could be movement in the area of trying to help uh, police organizations and the courts talk to each other better. Yeah, we're I mean, doing it in the that's courts now. Certainly, and, and that, that's certainly that. something I think. Yeah, that's that not a gun control issue. It's not a no, gun control no. issue. All right, moving on to the race for president. The Donald Trump campaign hired Indiana political consultant Kevin Kellums this week. The New York Times reported that Kellums has been hired to manage surrogates, the high-profile supporters who will make appearances on behalf of Donald Trump. Kellums indicated that he is unable to speak on the record, but directed us to the Times article. The Southern Indiana Republican has worked in Washington off and on and was working in the Pentagon when it was attacked on 9-11. In 2002, he showed us how the Pentagon was rebuilt using Indiana limestone. This is the uh, last piece of limestone. It was put in here by the Deputy Secretary of Defense, Paul Wolfowitz, uh, on June 11th, and it's one of the original stones. You can see it's charred. Kellums was a top aide to Wolfowitz. He may be best known in some circles for a cameo in Michael Moore's film Fahrenheit 9-11. When Moore highlighted the vanity of members of the Bush administration, it was Kellums who was seen helping Wolfowitz fix his hair. Leslie Weidenbenner, is that a good hire for the Trump campaign? Well, I think time will tell, and I certainly don't envy him this job. I mean, trying to wrangle, I mean, his job is going to be trying to wrangle uh, all these surrogates who are out on TV and sort of speaking for the campaign, and they've been, I mean, that's just not going to be an easy job. That's it. And so I guess we'll see in a month or two or maybe a little longer how well he's doing. It's part of a bigger shakeup in the Trump campaign. Corey Lewandowski, the manager, left this week, already hired by CNN. Uh, Kellums was one of uh, yeah, three or four key hires. Um, is this the time you want to see a shakeup in a presidential campaign? Uh, well, I suppose it's probably better now than later in the summer, but uh, that whole thing with the campaign was fairly interesting this week, and uh, the revelations about fundraising were, were very interesting. Uh, Kevin joins a campaign that's uh, clearly in transition, and uh, I think he's well-suited for uh, working with that campaign. Well, he's, he's had a number of positions in politics and government, gone back and forth between Indiana and, and Washington, and, and he's based in Madison, Indiana now. Would this suggest any focus on Indiana, do you think? No. No. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you have some more time to think about it. I mean, if, if, if Donald Trump has to worry about Indiana, then, then this campaign is already over. Uh, conceding but, Indiana? Uh, well, I mean, Michael, let's, let's, let's look Are at history. Are you conceding Indiana? No, I'm not conceding oh, okay. Indiana. Right. Hey, we actually have staff on the ground in yeah. Indiana. I, I know that 
the Trump make, campaign has raised $58,000 here. Do you want to make that bet So, uh, <laughs> well, if you have faith in your candidate, if you have faith in You'll your candidate. You'll win Indiana. If you have faith in your candidate, I, put your money I, on the table. I will. All right. Well, will Kevin Kellums be an asset to that campaign? Look, anytime you have somebody from your state is placed in a high position in a presidential campaign, you're ahead of the game. So you know you've got somebody you can talk to if you need to communicate with somebody. And that's good. So from that standpoint, absolutely. All right. Hillary Clinton is coming to Indianapolis, but it's not about winning votes in Indiana. She has an opportunity to address the U.S. Conference of Mayors. They are an influential group who represent a total of 363 metropolitan areas around the country. It's worth noting that Hillary Clinton made just two campaign trips to Indiana during the buildup to our May primary, and she didn't spend any money on TV advertising here. This speech on May 1st was her only appearance in central Indiana, and on Sunday's visit, she has no local campaign activities planned. It's all about the mayor's former Clinton state director, Pete Hanscom. We know now more than 85% of Americans live in either a city or a metropolitan area. And uh, when it comes down to making government work for people, a lot of times it happens at the local level. And some of the you know, most inventive ways that we've been able to see the government actually get things done has happened with partnerships between the federal and local level. So she'll be here to talk about what those partnerships are that she uh, hopes to enact. Dan Parker, you're uh, you're the Clinton state chairman. Is mm-hmm. that the uh, is that campaign slighting Indiana voters? No, not at all. I mean, like I said, we have staff. How on do the you, how do you come to Indianapolis and not do a local event? Well, because she's coming to the U.S. Conference of Mayors. Both candidates were invited, and she's the only one coming. Because the other one seems to, seems to think that uh, time in Scotland has better served. Well, I understand that he may do a live video appearance. Okay. Well, yeah. par for the course for that campaign. But but she's coming to town. I mean, is it hard to shoehorn a, a local well, event? Well, I, I think that there'll be plenty of coverage of, of her speech, um, and she's not, <laughs> given the fact that uh, she spent an awful lot more time in Indiana than than Mr. Trump. She, what? What? Yeah. Over time? That's not true. Over time. In this campaign, no, not in this campaign. Yeah, over time, Michael, she's spent a not lot more time campaign. here than he has. I, I, that was that was artful, Dan. That was, that was artful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, does it surprise you that she's not doing a little bit? No, event? God, she wrote Indiana off a long time ago. I mean, she she didn't participate during the primary. Maybe it's because she referred to us as Indian No Place. You know, so she apparently has in that. An email she, to a, in an email to a friend. Yeah, you when know? you don't think anybody's paying attention, that's what you call it. And so that's what she calls it. So, And, you know, she's, she's going to blow in here and do the speech and leave town and not do anything with it. I mean, she blew off Indiana and got beat by a socialist in Indiana. And that's not easy to do. And that was a month and a half ago. So she's going to lose Indiana in a big way. Could you keep dreaming? She uh, did, I mean, she did, she did blow off Indiana during the primary. I mean, she did, you know. I mean, she didn't advertise here at all. So, But no matter where the U.S. Conference of Mayors event was going to be, she was going to go do an event there. She, it's, I mean, it it's makes a bipartisan sense. group. It's a bipartisan group, but it's Democrat-leaning, right? Well, and, yes, and Democrat but it's, heavy, also, heavy. it's also very influential people. Not just influential now in their present positions of, as mayors, but influential down the road. And so, of course, she's coming to do this event, and she'd be doing it no matter where it was. Will, will John Gregg be spending time with her while she's here? 
I'd like to see uh, you know Pence double down on he his comments at his state at his state convention. Had him at the residence. Oh, yeah. be there. Yeah, and Are, I'd like a lot more video of that. Hillary going to be with hey, John? John, I don't think so. John, uh, <laughs> how big a deal is U.S. Conference of Mayors? It's huge. For all the reasons that Leslie talked about, these are 300 or so of, of the people who are really the closest you can be to uh, government. Uh, they hear what's going on in their cities. They know what's happening. And this is a, a national event with potentially international implications. I mean, the Dalai Lama is coming for crying out loud. And Lady Gaga. Well, the Dalai Lama is coming for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> Lady Gaga is going to take part in a panel discussion. Good for her. The Dalai Lama is going to yeah, be yeah. here. Yeah, it's, it's a big deal. And it's a big deal for our city. Yeah, it absolutely. Is. It is a big deal. And, for and Greg Ballard deserves most of the credit for getting it here, uh, right? And, and, and Joe Hoxett deserves credit for saying we want to do this even after he took sure. over. All right. Finally, the Indiana Pacers made a blockbuster trade this week. Indianapolis native George Hill was traded to Utah after five seasons with Indiana as part of a three-team deal. And in return, the Pacers get another Indianapolis native. It's Jeff Teague who played seven NBA seasons with the Atlanta Hawks. He has always said he'd like to come home. Mike McDaniel, is that a good deal? Yes. Uh, George Hill was a great pacer, a great, even greater citizen, and he will definitely be missing his community. But this was a basketball trade, and they traded up for a faster Younger Jeff Teague killed us in Atlanta. Oh, he just, he just, <laughs> he's, he's a point so guard. This is a great he's point, a, he's guard. A point guard. And this was yeah. the additional trade to get that is high five to Larry is, Bird is, on this is, trade. Is, is a good move, too. Here, here's my favorite part of the trade. The guy that does the announcing, Michael Grady, doesn't even have to change his call. They can say the hometown hero, Jeff Teague. <laughs> you got to love that part. That's Indiana Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat Dan Parker, Republican Mike McDaniel, Leslie Weidenbenner of the Indianapolis Business Journal, and John Ketzenberger of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. If you'd like a podcast of this program, you can find it at wfyi.org slash iwir, or starting Monday, you can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity or Bright House Networks. I'm Jim Shella of Wish TV. We'll see you again next week. Programming is made possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com.